Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tejos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays, when we sit down with Smart Karma insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. If you like what we do, consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your chosen podcast app, as this really helps more people discover the show. Thank you for being with us, and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another webinar by Smart Karma. I'm Kit, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Smart Karma Insight Provider, Oshadi. He'll be speaking in place of Shifara, who is unfortunately not able to make it for this webinar, and will take us through his top investment picks in Japan. Before we start, a bit of standard housekeeping. As always, please feel free to send in your questions for Insight Provider throughout the webinar using the Q&A button on your Zoom app, and we will get to them during the Q&A section. Please do not reshare the contents of this webinar without express permission. A recording will be available afterwards on the registration page and sent to all attendees. And with that, thank you, Oshadi, for being with us today. Maybe you can give us a brief introduction of your background before we dive into the topic for today. Yeah, thank you, Kate. So just to provide some background, like I've been working with live stream research for the past four plus years. Where my focus has mainly been on covering the Japanese retail sector. Before that, I spent almost eight years working in the buy side as an offshore investment analyst for one of the largest asset management firms. During that time, I was specializing mainly on small and micro cap companies in the consumer sector, that's also in the consumer sector across the Europe and developed Asia regions. So our first week is Skylark. Skylark is a prominent restaurant operator in Japan, operating over 3,000 restaurants offering Western, Chinese, Japanese, including the conveyable sushi and Italian foods. While the majority of the operations are based in Japan, they also have runs around 66 restaurants in Taiwan, three in Malaysia and one in the US. So, so the, com- the company experienced a significant boost in business due to Japan's tourism recovery following the removal of COVID-19 arrival testing requirements. Due to the easing of COVID-19 regulations, the number of tourists visiting, visiting has rebounded and reached around 66% of the pre-COVID level. This is a significant improvement from the levels observed in the third quarter and the fourth quarter as they were less than 10 and 37%. The recovery in tourist arrivals was particularly noticeable from countries outside of China as they didn't require COVID-19 test on, test on arrival. So the tourist arrivals from countries other than the greater China region bounced back to around 89% of the pre-COVID level by March 2023. It is up significantly from around 17% in September of last year. So as of April, Chinese tourists are no longer required to provide negative tests. So this could boost tourist arrivals from China in in a similar manner to the tourist arrivals from the rest of the world. Once this happens, we think same-store sales could substantially improve from the current level to possibly even surpass the pre-COVID level by at least 10%. So next, we talk about the company's gross margin. 
Gross margin was below Skylark's long-term trend as Skylark seemed incapable of passing down more than 2% year-over-year cost inflation through its regular actions such as menu changes. Thus, they had to increase prices multiple, multiple times towards the end of the last year. The company raised prices of its restaurant, major restaurant banners in July and October of the last year. And they also implemented a regional pricing system to increase prices by higher percentages in areas where they identified the demand to be relatively more inelastic. So these price hikes have had an impact on volumes, but once the initial volume impact subsides, we are expecting price hikes to be effective in offsetting in input cost inflation. In the next slide, we we can see that we, we that the see that the OPEX has bounced back to a, towards around 55 to 60 billion range in the past few quarters. That's because the company is resuming overseas store openings and they are also aggressively doing store conversions. But we don't think that it will be a significant burden on the company's profitability as the current OPEX level of around 55 to 60 billion is in line with what it should have been if the revenues had remained stable at around the 2019 level. Okay, then we move on to guidance and consensus. The company guided a revenue of 355 billion and an OP of 6 billion for the year 2023. This is based on the assumption that same store sales would be around 84, 88, 92 and 97% of the pre-COVID level in the four quarters of 2023. Meanwhile, consensus is cautious and they are expecting even lower revenue and OP than the company guidance. But, but it seems that same store sales are recovering much faster than the company had anticipated with 1Q same store sales expected to exceed the company's estimate by approximately 8%. Therefore, we are expecting a big upside to the company's guidance this year and it could be a major catalyst for a substantial, for a substantial upside in the short term. In addition to the guidance upgrade, we are, we are bullish on Skylark over the medium to long term because we see a lot of growth potential through overseas expansion. The company has already proven its overseas expansion potential in the Taiwan market. The three stores that it added in Malaysia and the one in US seems to be doing rather well. And we are hopeful that Skylark's overseas business could be as lucrative as the domestic business. Then there is continuous margin expansion potential through automation and the use of robots to serve and clean tables, which they have been doing aggressively during the COVID period. Uh, if the, uh, we think if the domestic same store sales rebounds above the pre-COVID level, 400 billion revenue and a 40 billion annual OP is quite, quite, a, quite a possible target. This implies a forward DV to OP multiple of around 15 times, which is about four times below the company's historical median multiple. So that's it for Skylark. And, and the next one, next, our next pick is on the short side that we talk about fast retailing, which is one of the popular Japanese clothing brands, which owns a popular clothing brand called Uniqlo. So it is quite unusual for a company of fast retailing caliber trade at cheap multiples. But the current multiple appears to be excessively high even for a highly regarded company like fast retailing. Our short thesis is mainly based on a valuation angle. The company traded at a range of around 7 to 12 times FY2 EB until 2012. 
Then the China expansion happened and the trading range shifted to 13 to 22 times CBIT during the 2013 to 20 period. And during COVID, the multiples went up further to touch even 30 times, but that was mainly due to lower earnings expectations. And multiples have been coming back down since then with earnings, with the recovering earnings expectations. And fast retailing is, current, is currently trading at around 22 times consensus 5.2 EBIT, which is near the top end of its pre-COVID range. Then looking at consensus expectations, we see that FI2 OP is around 16% above the long-term trend. We think consensus, is exp consensus expectations are derived from far too optimistic assumptions of a recovery in the greater China business and also the expectation of growth in the North America and Europe businesses. However, we have noticed that the demand for apparel in China following the COVID reopening looks a bit soft. The market only grew up by about 5.4% year over year in January and February this year. Meanwhile, there's a big risk to Uniqlo's North America earnings as the U.S. economy experience a could experience a recession. Then there were wage hikes in the domestic market. We anticipate an impact of around 50 billion per year from these wage hikes and consensus expectations do not seem to account for those wage hikes. Therefore, we think that wage hikes could limit the upside to Uniqlo's domestic performance, which could benefit from the return of inbound demand. However, should the Chinese demand fail to improve at the expected rate or the U.S. economy experience as a recession, we think fast retailing's valuation could potentially drop as much as 40%. Then, as our fellow insight provider Travis pointed out, there's a possible weight capping of fast retailing in the Nikkei index. So no matter what happens to fast retailing's fundamentals, this weight capping should restrict the upside risk. Therefore, we think the risk rewards on the short side has never been this favorable for fast retailing for a very long time. So our next pick is also on the short side and it is with a shorter investment horizon than the two ideas we previously discussed. So 7NI is the holding company of the largest convenience store chain in the world. If you have been following my insights on Smart Karma, you may already know that 7NI was one of my high conviction calls on the long side in 2021. Its share price rose 100% in the past two years and outperformed topics by around 30%. Its closest peer lows and is only up by around 20% during this period. We think the catalyst that drove up 7NI over the past two years are breaking apart. So we are turning negative, we are turning short on 7NI. So the main downside cat catalyst is the retail fuel margin. So the company generates approximately 76% of the U.S. business revenue and 57% of the total revenue from gasoline sales. There is a relatively strong correlation between the retail fuel margin and oil prices. So crude oil is down by about 40% from the June 22 peak. However, gasoline retail prices have responded at a slower rate of 20%, but it is quite normal given that given the slower frequency of price changes compared to the frequency of price changes in the upstream supply chain. We suspect that wholesale prices may have declined by around 30% from the peak, leaving around a 10% gap for the retail fuel margin appreciation during that time. 
Thus, the retail margin went up to 46.1 cents per gallon in the third quarter, although it was down a bit to 44.2 cents in the fourth quarter. It is still above the figures predicted by our correlation model. If there was no discrepancy between crude oil and gasoline retail price changes, we think retail fuel margin would have been around approximately 38.4 cents per gallon in the third quarter and 34.1 cents per gallon in the fourth quarter. Therefore, once this timing issue settles, we are expecting around 22% downside to 7 retail fuel margin in the U.S. And it should pro probably cut the company's total OP by approximately 25%. Another catalyst to seven and nice upside over the past two years was the growth in merchandise sales at the U.S. convenience stores. According to the U.S. Census, U.S. gas stations have been exp experiencing sales growth of over 40% year over year until 2022. But since then, the growth rate has dropped more than a half and reached around 12% in the October to December quarter. The, ga the gas station industry has begun this year weaker than how it ended the previous year. And its sale, merchandise sales growth was just 5% and minus 2% year over year in January and February. Then we have the reversing FX impact with the yen appreciation. After depreciating by around 35% in the past two fiscal years, the yen is expected to appreciate by around 7% in the next quarter. Finally, on a valuation standpoint, we think 7NI is overvalued. It is trading at 7.5 times FI2 EBITDA and 14.0 times FI2 EBIT, both of which are towards the company's historical peak multiples. In addition, we think consensus expectations are too bold, as we think earnings peaked in the third quarter of last year when retail fuel margin was at its peak. So we are expecting around 30% downside to 7NI in the short term. We also see limited upside through investor activism as ValueVac seems to have angered the company's management after their latest attack, which was right after the death of the company's founder. Thank you, and that's our webinar. Thank you for your time today, Oshadi, and thank you all for attending. If you wish to keep track of Oshadi's work, I recommend following their profile on Smart Karma so you never miss any of his insights. Please note that Oshadi is also available for bespoke research requests or premium services. So if you wish to engage him for that, please contact your Smart Karma account manager. Please email us at research at smartkarma.com for any other questions or feedback. If not, do follow us on our social media channels like LinkedIn and Twitter at Smart Karma. We share weekly ebooks on trending topics and themes, so don't miss out on that. Thank you once again to Oshadi. Goodbye, everyone. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please share it with your networks. Subscribe to the podcast feed so you don't miss an episode, and follow Smart Karma on your social media. We're Smart Karma everywhere. And of course, don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. As always, thank you very much for listening and see you next time.